Hello and happy Valentine's Day from Marty Ross, your local Aaron storyteller. Uh, presenting you here and now with a, uh, an appropriately romantic fairy tale. And now I should tell you that I've had to cast my net, my storytelling net, far and wide to get hold of this particular story. The story should be quite upfront with you. It didn't begin life as a, a local Aaron folk tale. It began life rather as a folk tale told by the Eskimos of Cape Prince of Wales, way up at the north end of Alaska, at the edge of the Bering Strait between Alaska and Siberia. But I've uh, brought it to our shores here on Arran and uh, domesticated it, as it were, uh, changed it into an Arran story. I'm not a, a, an Eskimo from Cape Prince of Wales after all. So yes, I made it an Aran story. And I call it, in my own telling, Wild Hearts, Warm Hearts. And the cold wind blew, and spray off the sea and flakes of snow flew, and it was a hard winter down there in Loch Ranza, at the north end of the sea here on Arran. And Jessie's parents, well, they had it hard, scraping a living. Father trying to catch fish in those chilled and meagre winter seas. Mother doing all she could to keep a warm house standing about them in the teeth of those January gales. So when our chores were done, Jessie was free to wander the slopes of the snowy hills, to explore the openings of deep glens leading far inland to stray all the way up to the foot of mighty mountains. And sometimes as the, as the wind blew about her, she'd think she heard voices singing in those winds. Voices singing just for her. And then home she'd go to help her mother boil up a cullen skink maybe for their tea, before off she went to her, her wee bed in her room at the back of the cottage. A room and a bed, a wee bit too wee, maybe, for the young woman Jessie had become while her parents were busy looking elsewhere. And one winter night, in that wee bed, she had a dream. A dream red and bright as the night was dark, and she woke sharp and couldn't, couldn't remember a single part of the dream. But her heart was running swift in her breast, and the breath sobbing warmly out of her and something pale was glimpsed disappearing into the dark just ahead of her. Something the colour of moonlight. Something that looked like... But was it there or was it just some last part of the dream fleeing? Something that looked like the tail of a wolf. And then, whatever it was, it was gone. Next day, Jessie's out in the wood at the foot of the hills, trying to scrape up some firewood that might dry out and catch light in the hearth, when she saw a great deer lying there dead, brought low by some beast that had bit it red and yet not taken one bite more. And the whole thing plump with what might be half a winter's worth of venison, Jessie hurried back to her father and he came and dragged it back to the hut and skinned it 
and dressed it and got it ready for future eating, proclaiming it what a fine turn of feet that had left it so close to their door. The next night, the same dream. The dream Jessie couldn't remember when she woke with a start, heart a, a flutter in her chest, a wolf's tail, if that's what it was, disappearing in the dark like a wisp of grey smoke. And the next day when she was out a-wandering, what should she find but a, a goat from the hills laid out, dead and meaty, practically right there on their doorstep. Oh, with ourselves a guardian angel, said her mother, looking forward to stocking up with all that meat. And yes, it seemed indeed, yes, that they had a guardian angel. So to speak, for that very night, as Jessie and her mother and her father sat spooning and slurping away at the rich broth made up out of the first cut of the goat's meat, there came a knocking at the door. Uh, Jessie's father opened it, and in stepped a young man, all wrapped in wolf skins, and with snowflakes crowning his wild black hair. Excuse me, who are you? said Jessie's father. I'm a hunter from the mountains, and my name is Ian, and I come to wed your daughter. Did you not see the gifts I gave to gain your goodwill? said the young man. Well, a couple of nice bits of meat, certainly, but uh, you want to wed my daughter, said Jessie's father. Wed her when you don't know her, and well, she doesn't know you. I know her fine well, said Ian. When I was out hunting in the hillsides, did I not see her below? Did that sight not make this whole wild island but a background in my eye to the wild beauty of her? Was her red hair blown in the chill breeze not brighter than the sunrise when it shines across the waves, the sunset when it crowns the mountains? Was the song I heard her sing to herself not a, a finer music than the call of eagles round the mountain peaks, the chorus of the wolves in the snowy night, the wash of the waves in the shingle? Did she not even at a distance, settle warm in my heart. Is she not now wedded to every beat that sounds there, though we never yet stood this close? I stand here as a stranger to her, yes, but be assured no other man would wed her as fondly and truly as this man stood here. Have I not visited her in her dreams as she has visited me in mine? Should ten hundred other women, all bonny, be standing by that hearth there, she would yet be the sole woman for me, the sole woman I would recognise. That said, will you not let her be my wife? Well, said Jessie's father, my wife's here and don't I and her mother know it, as a young woman with thoughts of her own. Is that not so, Jessie? Yes, of course, father, said Jessie. Yes, so it is. Though frankly, she could not take her eyes off the young man's handsomeness. But it was something more than his fineness of figure that had fixed her attention. 
Was there not something about him stirred her like the breeze off the mountains when she went a-wandering on their lower slopes? Aye, so it is indeed, her father was saying. So maybe you ought to uh, sit down at the table here and have a wee bit dinner with us before we decide if you're taking her away from us. So they sat down and began a rich feast of the meat that had been so fortuitously left by their door. And the more Jessie looked upon Ian, the more fascinated she was. But halfway through the meal, there came another knock on the door. Jessie's father opened it, and there strode in a great tall and bulky man, dressed in bearskins who declared, Ah, ha, ha! There she is. Have I no seen her wandering the hills like a fine fat sheep? Your daughter, oh man, I'm here to marry her. Here to what? said Jessie's father, even as Jessie tensed in her seat. And young Ian alongside her did likewise. De marry her, said the man in bearskins. I've seen her many a time, and even from far away I've, well... A faunty, well, faunty fancying her. Fancying me, you say, asked Jessie. I doll, he replied. You might even say, oh, well, well, I love you. I love you like a, like a great bear loves seal guts in its gob. Like a bear delights in rubbing its back against a tree. I love you like the taste of something sweet fast in my teeth. Is that no good enough for getting your hand? No, it's not, said Ian, standing up at the table. I came here first to declare my love, and my love is a more tender thing than your gruff snortings, your big bearish galoot. Get out and, and leave us to our meal. Tender, you say, said the man in bearskins. Aye, tender indeed, you look the type. Strip of a lad that you are for all that kind of Tender nonsense, half woman yourself, I dare say. Me, I'm a man, big and rough, knows what a woman wants best as a fella taking her hard in hand and showing her who's boss. But excuse me, said Jessie, I'm not sure that's what I want at all. You heard the young lady, said Ian. It might be better if you uh, wandered back outside. I'll go back outside, said the man in bearskins, if you'll come outside likewise and uh, uh, talk the matter over with me, like two men ought to do where a bonny handful of women's concerned. Yes, said Ian, rising from the table. Let's do just that. No, said Jessie, finding herself instinctively taking hold of Ian's wrist to hold him back. Don't, don't. It's all right, he said, gently easing her hand away. I've come so far in this wild, cold night to share the warmth of this hearth here with you. I can spend another few minutes out in that freezing dark if it helps wed me to your warmth forevermore. And so he and the man in bearskins stepped out into the dark and snowy night and the door rattled shut behind them. Well, said Jessie's mother, we're he playing host to some funny types of night. But in a few moments, things were not funny at all. 
For the night outside was suddenly filled with the cries of animals fighting. Big animals, fierce animals, crashing in and out of the bushes, breaking branches off the trees. Jessie and her mother cowered by the fire, while her father ran to the door and drove home every boat upon it. Enough's enough, he said. We're no opening the door again tonight. No with that kind of stramash going on out there. But father began Jessie. What about Ian? For she found that she was suddenly very, very concerned for his safety. Don't you go worrying about that, my girl, said her father. You're no married to him yet. So what happens to him out there? There, well, it's no none of your business. And for a long time, they listened to the fierce sounds of animal fighting outside. And even when the sounds had abruptly ceased, her father still refused to unbolt the door because, well, with them kind of beasts about you, you never knew. And to be sure, the knock on the door from Ian that Jessie was waiting for, even hoping for, when it never came. The next morning, Jessie hurried out at first light to find, well, no sign of any figure, beast nor man, but there was blood splashed about the snowy ground, a whole trail of spots and speckles of blood, a trail she followed all the way up to well, all the way up to the end of the steep and narrow glen that climbs out of Lacranza at the southern end, uh, just behind the, the, the distillery, though of course the distillery wasn't there in these once upon a time times. And as Jessie stood there, a grey figure emerged from the grey rocks where they jutted through the snow. The figure of an old man with a thick grey beard, as tightly dressed in wolf skins as Ian had been the night before. And this old man, he said, You'll be young Jessie from the cottage down there. Yes, she said. You know me. Well, I know of you. For since he first set sight on you, since he first caught your scent in the air, my son Ian's never stopped talking of how much he loves you. Your son, said Jessie. Oh, yes, yes, I, I met him last night. Where is Ian? Ian, well, he came back to our home up in the mountains awake last night. He'd been in a fight, reckless lad that he is. A fierce fight, as if he'd been fighting a great bear. For he came home with many a sore wound. What? What? He, he, he's hurt, gasped Jessie. More than hurt. That boy of mine, he feels he, feels he let himself down. Fighting, fighting like a beast. In earshot of you, the woman he loves. Feels you can never love him after hearing them make a noise and a mess like that. So home he came, tail between his legs, and oh, well, he's not so bad, Hurter. He, he wouldn't he be if he took the medicine we brewed up for him. But he will not take that medicine. For without you, he sees no point in living. Then, then you must take me to him, said Jessie. Take me to him so I can let him know that, well, well, why hide it? I've fallen for him like he's fallen for me. If I tell him that, we, we can help him, surely. Aye, I hope you'd say that. All right, lass, climb on my back. Oh, on your back, she said. 
It's a long, steep way up into these steep, snowy mountain mat passes. You'll get there easier if you let me carry you up there. Up you get, girl, on my back and off we'll go. So she, uh, yes, she uh, climbed up on the old man's back and he dropped curiously onto all fours. And in no time at all they were speeding, speeding up the slope faster than you'd have thought any old man had it in him to crawl. To crawl? Well, it was more like he was, he was running on swift, slender legs. And on those legs he carried her all the way up to a high cave in the high mountains. And in that cave, as Jessie climbed off the old man's back, she saw Ian. Yes. There he lay on a bed of furs, his wounds bandaged with strips of hide, looking sick and weary, at least until he saw her stepping before him, at which a kind of pale brightness started up in his features. You, you, you came, he breathed. Yes, she said. I came. I came because though I only met you face to face this last night gone, when I faced you, I knew you breathed with the pulse of everything I love here on this wild, wild island. I love you already as you love me, and loving you, I ask you to live. And he took her hand, and he took the medicine his father had boiled up, and in no time at all he was up on his feet and well and showing Jessie the craggy wonders of the remote mountains among which he lived. They decided that, yes, they would marry, and she would be happy to make a home with him up here amid all this wild beauty. But there was a problem. For up in those high mountain passes, there lurked a glastig, a boglish woman with the horns of a goat, and more hair sprouting from the warts in her face than was wholly becoming. And this glastig, she'd had her yellow, watery eyes on young Ian for some while, only for him to spurn her every advance. And now, now to see him getting all cosy and hand in hand with some chit of a girl from Doonloch runs away well, the glastig had a plan. Retreating into her own cave, she boiled up a great cauldron full of, well, you know, the, the, the usual sort of thing. Bat's blood, hog's livers, the juice from all manner of poisonous plants. And one day, when the glastig saw Jessie wandering by, stretching her legs, taking the air on the mountain track just below, the glastig crept from her cave and, well, well, she dumped half the contents of the cauldron over poor Jessie and she drank drank the other half herself in a single lusty gulp. No sooner had Jessie recovered from the shocked gasp she vented as the slimy lukewarm fluid dropped about her than she felt something strange happening to her an itchy creepy crawly sensation all over her skin. She looked down at her arms, at her hands. What had happened to them that they were becoming so wrinkly and warty 
with great long nailed claws where her fingers should be. And oh, she had the same feeling all over her face. Feeling about it best she could with those claws, she felt hairy warts sprouting from her broadening face and worse, worse. Great ribbed goat horns sprouting from her forehead. She heard laughter, ha ha ha, up above her. She looked up. Was that a mirror she saw up there? Showing her her own figure stood up on that rock. But then that figure, that figure which was the very image of her, threw back its head and let out a shrill laughter that certainly wasn't any laugh of hers. Ha ha ha! Don't you see? called that figure that looked just like her. I've stolen your sheep. And you're stuck now with my sheep. I look like you, and you, you look just like me. And let's see which of the two of us young Ian wants to marry now. Ha ha! And Jessie spotted a great puddle among the rocks nearby. She looked into that puddle, and the reflected face that looked back up at her wasn't her own face, but the monstrous face of the clay stick. Well, Jessie had to hurry back to Ian. It had to get there ahead of the glacier that had stolen her form and explain everything before it was too late. But no sooner had Jessie reached Ian's cave than he turned upon her fiercely and he said, You again! Have I not told you, you foul and fantastic hag, that I could never love you? Not what I've my Jessie to love. Your Jessie's here, darling, sounded a voice at Jessie's back. It was the glastic, stepping through the cave mouth, but looking, and indeed sounding, so like Jessie, that Jessie had to admit to herself she'd have been confused. Yes, darling, here I am. Oh, dearie me, what's that ugly creature trying to come between us? She won't come between us any longer, said Ian. Out you go, out you go, you foul old glastig. And even as Jessie tried to protest, no, no, wait, wait, Ian, listen, wait, wait, I'm, I'm me, it's me, I'm me, I'm me, I'm me. Ian grabbed hold of her and threw her out through the mouth of the cave. Threw her out so she tumbled and rattled hard and sore all the way down the mountain slope. Landing in the bottom, Jessie <laughs> burst into tears. The sound of her weeping <laughs> echoing, echoing, echoing around the glen. Only to be interrupted by a rattle of pebbles just above her head. She looked up with a, with a start, for it seemed to be that self-same ugly glastig, back in glastig form, descending towards her. But that wasn't quite the case. You know my sister, said this glastig. You've a shape to match my sister, but oh, 
You don't smell half so bad. Wait, wait, wait. Tell me, has my sister been up to her old tricks again? Wait, 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 said Jessie. You're the Glastig's sister. Aye, and don't you go saying ugly sister, by the way. Look here, can you no see? Her big grey hairy warts on her left cheek. My great big hairy warts on my right cheek, which is much, much more becoming, I think you'll agree. But of a better character too. You see, I wouldn't do what I think she's done to you, darling, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is she's taken your shape and given you hers. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, that's right, sobbed Jessie. And now I'll never get back my true shape or the man I love. Well, we'll see about that, said the goistic sister. I'm a wee bit fed up with my sister's besmirching the family name. Come up here, darling, and let's just see what we can do for you. So the glacedig's sister led Jessie up through the rocky passes to a spot where a waterfall tumbled into a rocky pool. She told Jessie to undress. Uh, uh, gentlemen listeners, uh, please avert your mind's eyes and to bathe her distorted form in the foaming white cascade. This Jessie did, and as she did so, it was as if the fresh, chilly water was washing away the monstrous form the other glaistic had imposed upon her, and suddenly she was Jessie back in her true form once again. Wait, said the glaistic sister, we're no finished yet. Scoop up some of that water you just bathed in. The water in the pool, yes, right there. Scoop it up here in this wee jug that I'll give you. Now you carry it back up to yon cave you got dumped out of and you throw that water over my sister and see how things sort themselves out. Appropriately dressed once again. Yes, gentlemen listeners, you may uh, open wide your mind's eyes. Jessie scrambled back up the mountainside. Entering the cave to see, well, to see the man she loved in a romantic clinch with the glaistic that had stolen her form. But not to worry, Jessie threw some literally cold water, the water from the mountain pool over the glaistic, who leapt clear of Ian's embrace. With a squawk and a shiver, and transformed back into her horrible glistic form. In an instant, Ian realised the deception that had been practised upon him, and he grabbed the glistic, and now it was her. He threw down the mountainside, rattle, bump, crash, and when her last tumbling scream died away in echo. Ian turned back to his true love in her true form and moved to embrace her. But Jessie moved away. Don't you remember, she said, when you first pledged your love to me, you said that out of ten hundred women, you'd recognise me and me alone for the woman you loved. Yet there you were with that glaistic but thinly disguised in my shape. And I saw how close you were getting with her. Wouldn't the man who said all those sweet things to me have sensed the truth? 
as the Glastig's own sister did? Or was it rather just the, just the look of me, the shape of me, and nothing more that caught your attention in the first place? No, no, my darling, my darling, listen, he said, but she was already hurrying away. Not sure if she could trust him anymore. Hurrying out of the cave, hurrying down the mountain slope, leaving behind his desperate cries. Knowing she had to find somewhere on this island, or somewhere in the world, a man who would love not just the outside form of her, but love her all the way through. But even as Jessie neared the foot of the glen, another rattling among the rocks just above. The Glastig sister come to commiserate yet again. No. It was a bunch of fierce brigands, all done up in bearskins. Foremost among them, the huge fellow in bearskins, whom Ian had fought right back at the beginning of our story. They grabbed hold of Jesse, and that fierce brute of a leader among them said, Aha! I thought I'd lost you to yon wolfish lad up the glen, but seems you're still up for grabs. Good. Don't worry, darling. I will not waste your time with nae sweet romantic chatter. You're meat to me, and I'm up for taking a bite. Jessie struggled free of his grip, tried to run away, called out for help. Help, but help, but only echoes, echoes, echoes answered her. The bearskin brigand caught her again, wrestled her around, prepared to force the fiercest, cruelest, most uncaring of kisses upon her. So Jessie put her knee where it would do the most damage. <gasps> and as he gasped out his discomfort, Jessie ran on again. But the bare skin fiends were close behind. But then... A great howling cry resounded. And suddenly Ian was there, leaping down and taking on the brigands in fierce combat. He was outnumbered, but his fury to protect Jessie evened the odds. Even so, Jessie had to help, grabbing stones from the hillside and hurling them. Hurling them, hurling them at the bandits until they all ran away. And as they ran, Jessie asked, How did you know to come? How did you know I was in trouble? Because up in my cave, far up in the mountains, my heart quickened suddenly and the breath caught in my breast, he said. Because you're more so much more than a shape, a form, a beautiful face to me. Which is why I was so uncomfortable. If you'd only listened to me, so much more uncomfortable than you guessed in the grasp of that fake Jessie who got a hold of me. Uncomfortable for all I, I knew not how. Because what I told you, Jessie, is true. My love for you goes past what's on the outside. Since the moment I first glimpsed you on the hillside, my heart, my pulse, my very breath have been wedded to yours. When you are happy, I am happy. 
when you are frightened I'm frightened for you however far apart we've wandered. How could I not have sensed the danger you were in? I am, I am wild and wolfish but tender for you. You are sweet and gentle but there's a wildness in you to make a, a, a fine wife for the mountains I roam. Together, in the deepest knots of heart and soul, are we not one? Is it not a crime to divide us? And she looked at him, and she knew he spoke true, and they took one another's hand, and wandered back into the mountains, and hadn't gone far before. Together, they changed changed into a pair, a perfect pair of sleek grey wolves. And on they ran, oh, oh, howling happily in one another's company. And though folk will tell you there's no wolves here on Arran, if you wander up those passes above Loch Ranza, I reckon you might still hear them howling, howling out their wild love song on the snowy winds. For such a passion as there was between those two never die.